Hello and bienvenido San Antonio. Welcome to the Alamo Hour, discussing the people, places, and passion that make our city. My name is Justin Hill, a local attorney, a proud San Antonioan, and keeper of chickens and bees. On the Alamo Hour, you'll get to hear from the people that make San Antonio great and unique and the best kept secret in Texas. We're glad that you're here. All right, welcome to the Alamo Hour. Today's guest is Anya Grakowski. She's the artistic director and CEO of Musical Bridges Around the World. Uh, she herself is a very accomplished uh, pianist. Um, I think you have a PhD, a PhD in music, right, or piano? DMA, yeah, Doctor of Music Arts. Okay, well, <laughs> similar. You know, I've got a doctor in <laughs> jurisprudence, but nobody calls me doctor. Um, Anya started Musical Bridges Around the World, which really sounds like just your passion project and your attempt to share your love of music and bring a really different um, kind of style and quality of music to our city. Yes, that's pretty much does it all. Thank you for being here. Um, I want to to talk about Musical Bridges. I want to talk about your history um, as a musician and also in bringing this to our city and all of the events you'll put on. I mean, it's it's beautiful what you're doing from children all the way, you know, through to sort of older people. Y'all have got a program for everybody, and we're going to talk about that. But I start this kind of um, little getting to know you. So we're going to go through kind of our top 10 questions that I ask a bunch of people. They change a little bit, but a lot of them are the same. Uh, You mentioned it already. What kind of pets do you have? I have two large dogs. How large? Great Dane large? No, not quite as large, but pretty large. I've got German Shepherd and I got a mutt, which looks like when we got him from the pond, we hoped that he will be a golden retriever, but he turned out to be made out of parts of different uh, dogs. And he's the sweetest thing you can imagine. What are their names? Uh, The mutt is Duke and, uh, and the German Shepherd is Lexi. So I grew up and I had a golden retriever named Duchess. So, and, and related. <laughs> so Duchess had puppies with a dog named Duke at, at one point in life. So it kind of comes full circle. Um, what are your, you know, now with COVID it's a little bit different, but what are your, some of your favorite spots to eat at? And now it's almost, what are your favorite spots to get takeout at? Well, you know, I'm really a big fan of ethnic food. You know, every time I can get excused to go to Indian restaurant, I always, I just uh, recently ate again in Indian Palace. I love them. And uh, there's Afghani restaurants and uh, there are all kinds of restaurants. There's no Russian restaurant, unfortunately, in San Antonio. And it's crossed my mind, maybe in my next life, I would open one. (laughs) I don't want to be insensitive, but I mean, are Russians known for their cuisine? Well, yeah, it's it's a very good cuisine. Uh, you know, Russian in general, Russian culture was very influenced by by French culture, okay. uh, and so. Uh, but but the the uh, ethnic Russian ethnic food is um, you know based on vegetables and famous borscht. I even made like video of me making borscht <laughs> because people have been asking me for years, Anya, how do you make that famous borscht? So I made a video of that. I love borscht. And I'll, be- I'll, I'll share it with you. I'll share the video. <laughs> and then I think of caviar too, for whatever reason, when I think yeah, of caviar is a good stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Indian palace is your favorite Indian spot in town. It is. Yes. Okay. And I'm not getting paid for this promotion. <laughs> well, neither of us are. Uh, <laughs> what are some of your favorite you've, you've lived in San Antonio a while. How long? Oh, I came here in 91. Okay. Uh, what are some of your favorite hidden gems? You know, when I have people come to town, you know, the Alamo and those things are great, but I tell them, you know, the, the, the botanical gardens, I think are, you know, if you live here, you probably go, 
the further down missions, you know, a lot of people, I didn't go for 10 years to see the other missions. So what are some of your favorite hidden gems in the city? Well, you know, when we bring guest artists from all over the world, uh, we take them, show them around and, uh, and it helps for us, you know, I've been here for almost like for a very long time. It, it helps me to look at San Antonio through their eyes, which yeah. is, you know, very interesting. Well, we always take people to Maknae Art Museum. I think this right. is absolutely fabulous, fabulous place in San Antonio. Uh, we take, of course, River Walk and, and uh, Pearl. But, you know, where we lately started to take people to is wineries around Texas. Okay. And we got all these musicians from France and Italy, they all cocky about their, you know, food and wine and all that. And we said, wait, wait a minute, let's go, let's try some Texas wines. So that is, uh, you know, I think that that's a hidden gem still, actually, the Texas Hill Country. With the have wine. they liked the Texas Hill Country wines? Well, well, they say they do. I don't think they have choice when we take them around, you know, but, but I do. You know, I think this is great wine and overall the situation is just, the experience is fun. Hmm? The experience is fun. Experience is yeah. fun. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely. It was so close for you know to this. It's fabulous. Yeah, I was just talking to my wife. Um, it's going to be a good get out of the house, pretty safe trip, and we're going to go up there and do that because I haven't done it in years. It's different now than it used to be, and I have a bunch of friends that worked in the restaurants in San Antonio who are now up there working in wineries. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'll be surprised. They're just growing. There's it used to be 48 wineries. I think they doubled right now. Is that right? You know, the state of Texas gives them, I mean, a lot of support to open wineries, the Go Texas stuff. And mm-hmm. I mean, we have what, nine Appalachians in Texas. So this, the state's done a really good job to encourage that kind of wine tourism. Uh, do you have, I mean, you're a musician, obviously. Do you have any other hobbies? Oh, I have too many hobbies, you know, for normal human beings. Any, any odd <laughs> hobbies? Well, I don't know how odd, but, you know, I, I really, I'm a good cook. I like okay. to cook. And um, um, I've, I had different hobbies in different periods of my life. So I used to sew. I even used to sew for a living when I was in Russia. Oh, wow. And then somehow that was over. Then I was doing ceramic for a while. And, and so my uh, latest hobby is, um, is interior design. So I just... <laughs> I just remodeled my house. I'm still recuperating. I'll, I'm going to have, you know, survive the next five years. It's like PTSD after remodeling, yeah. but, but it's still very, uh, it's very rewarding and it's a great opportunity, you know, to exercise the interior design kind of uh, aspirations. What's your favorite um, type of cuisine to cook? Um, well, I, I, Probably Italian more than the yeah. French, I would say, you know, but, but, you know, I like, I like uh, clean products. Like I don't like to overwork whatever I work with. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we have the series of home concerts. And for many years, I used to cater pretty much. Uh, <laughs> so that was interesting experience as well. So I keep saying, I'm going to learn how to cook also buco. I still have not learned. I feel like it can't be that difficult, but I still haven't tried to really do it yet. I'm, I'm sure it's not. I've done it once or twice. It's not. Okay. Um, what's your favorite Fiesta event? Well, you know what? I'm embarrassed to say, but I'm not very much into Fiesta. Okay. But you've <laughs> been to some events if you've been here since 91. Yes, I've been to some events. The biggest event I've been to was the Flower Parade. Okay. And I believe it was 
nice and interesting, but overall, I'm not kind of the crowd kind of girl. I like to stay quiet, <laughs> which is oh. weird because I run performing arts organizations. Yeah. I'm not a big crowd person either, but have you been to the arts fair at the Southwest School of Arts? Yes, I have. And I love that. Uh, I love that school. Um, I mean, if you get there early, the event's great. It's not packed by five, four or five. It starts getting pretty packed. But early on, it's great. It's it's one of my, if not my favorite event. Um, so you're classically trained musician. You're obviously into classical music, but what do you listen to in your car? Do you have guilty music pleasure? I do. You know, my favorite actually is Bossa Nova. Okay. I think maybe previous life, maybe I was Brazilian. <laughs> I All right. I didn't know I if you were going to say rap or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't go that far yet. All right. But Bossa Nova touches some strings in me. I didn't know existed. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's, I think that's fair. Um, you know, we, we've kind of touched on it, but you're a classically trained musician. You've toured all over the world, is my understanding. Talk to me about you. You come from a family of musicians. Give us a little background of how you got into music in such a sort of in-depth way. Well, I was born and raised in Soviet Union for the starters. And uh, my father uh, was the violinist in Moscow Philharmonic Orchestra all his life. And my mother is a violinist as well. And she was a um, <clears throat> renowned teacher in Russia as well as uh, she played in the musical theaters and the orchestras. So as far as I remember myself, I was always backstage in the orchestra or in a symphony or something. So that was really not a matter of choice for me to become a musician. We have this going joke in the family that two violinists needed free companies. That's why they took me to a music school. There you go. And I started my piano lessons when I was five. So nobody asked if I want to do it. Nobody asked if I have talent. Nobody asked this, whatever. Just this was what I was supposed to be doing. And that's what I did. Um, You know, you hear everything about sort of how it was growing up over there. But was that sort of your education was music or did you go to school all day like you would in America and then music after school? Yes, I went to public school, um, just normal school in the morning, and then uh, I went to music school three times a week. Okay. So, since you know the the since it was socialism, things were next costing next to nothing, practically free. So I had my piano lessons twice a week. I also had solfeggio and choir and music theory and whatever. They really have that system there working well. That's why Russia is still producing enormous amount of fabulous musicians. Yeah. <laughs> So how long was your father with the Moscow Philharmonic? For 45 years. Wow. So, and, and that's a pretty competitive thing, right? To become. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think he got there. He played auditions uh, for like 10 times uh, in, to get in the orchestra. There was very competitive, but that was a totally different life than what normal Soviet people would experience, you know, because he was traveling all the time with the orchestra at a time when we lived in a closed country. Nobody knew anything about the West. It was pre-internet time. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember that time. Yeah. And um, so he was, he's seen the entire world really where a majority of Russians only saw what they've been shown on TV. So where did you live in Moscow? Yes. We lived in Moscow. Uh, did you get to travel with him when you were a kid or did y'all have to stay put? No, we had to stay put. That was, you know, I know for Americans, it's really hard to understand, but uh, it was impossible to travel or to leave the country or nothing because you needed exit visa. 
like ah. you know, yeah now i think they need russians only need entrance visa to the country they go to yeah. at our time like i have this funny story i don't know how funny it's funny now you know but <laughs> when i was a, when i was a teenager my mother was going to go to bulgaria for vacation and so she wanted to take me with her and it was part of the group too it was not like you're just going wild you know to the yeah. wild west and stuff and so in order for her to take me, I needed to get permission from the college I was in. And so the college called me to the meeting of a communist leadership. And uh, I was not really into, into communism or politics in general <laughs> at the time. And so they asked me why I'm not a member of the Komsomol, which was the step on the way to. And I said, well, I wasn't invited. And so they thought that it was politically not savvy answer and they did not sign my papers and i never went to bulgaria Is that right <laughs> yeah so the first country i came to actually was united states when i was 29 before that i never left russia so it's just i mean it's kind of funny hearing you went to vacation in bulgaria because it's not known as a grand vacation destination these days <laughs> but, yeah, I, but i guess you were limited right they uh bulgaria actually has i've never been to bulgaria to this day but i've heard that they have a beautiful beaches and the sea and and for soviets that was the place to go at a time okay. and but i was not even able to do that because i at a time i didn't know how to say right things in the right time i made a lot of progress since then but, <laughs> but even though it was within the iron curtain as we called it even though it was within that y'all still had to get special permission to travel within yeah huh okay it was pretty uh, bad, yeah. So I went, to, I went to law school with a guy who's from Bulgaria, and his parents, like, hid under a raft and floated down a river to get out of Bulgaria. Uh, and they're Americans now, but, I mean, it was a wild story he told me about his parents. Yeah. Different time. Of, yeah. So were you there when the wall fell? No, I was already in the United States. Okay. I, I came to U.S. with my ex-husband and my son, an exchange program, and uh, that was the first time I left Russia, and it was it was 89 ah. and so in the fall fall fell in 91 okay so we were driving from illinois in a car to san antonio when we already were moving here and in the car we were listening uh the reports from moscow were like you know shooters were on the roofs and tanks were coming down the streets i remember there was absolutely surreal feeling was it uh, emotional for you well, yeah, I mean, although yeah, by now I, I've spent most of my life here already. I'm a more American than Russian, but still, you know, I grew up in that country. I know the culture, I know the people. Yeah. And every time something goes wrong, I do take it personally. But at the time when the wall fell, you hadn't been here all that long. No, I just came. But I was worried about people, you know, tanks in Moscow. I've never seen, i only seen tanks on TV in my life, you know. Oh, is that right? Okay. And you know, the streets where I went to school, you know, there were tanks. They were showing and, and talking. CNN was on the roof somewhere. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. You know, now looking back, I believe it was a good thing that it happened. But um, that was uh, pretty scary. Tons of uncertainty, too. I mean, at, at that point. So you you, yeah. you became an accomplished pianist while you were in, in Russia or the Soviet Union at the time. Talk to me sort of, you, you went to school for piano, but then did you at some point kind of break from schooling and just take up piano or was it all school, all piano until you well, were the, done? The system there is like you go to public school and then you enter kind of like what here would consider to be um, a magnet school or like college okay. from 15 to 19. So I, I did that. 
And then there's a master's degree, which is five years in Russia. So I did that. And then there's doctorate separately. So I did everything up to my doctorate. And then we immigrated to United States. And um, I did doctorate later already after I've been in the United States for a while. But I did it in Russia, mainly because I chickened out. You know, I don't I didn't think my English would be good enough to go through doctorate here at a time. And so I went back and did doctorate there. So, you know, some of the stuff provided by Rudy, who's a mutual friend of ours and a PR extraordinaire in this city who could be, you know, you know, he's just so calm about it. He could, he's so good at what he does. Um, but some of the stuff he told me was you did a lot of touring around the world yourself as a pianist. Was that in your Soviet time or was that once you were in the United States? That was once I was already in the United States. Yeah. In, in Soviet Union, still, I lived at a time where things were not, impo- not, not possible, you know. The only way pianists could go to the West if they take part in a competition or something, and that has to be sanctioned by the government as well. I mean, was there a real fear that if they let y'all go, that y'all were just not coming back? Um, I think so, yeah. You know, my dad traveled with his orchestra, and they always had a couple of KGB guys with them. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. And they knew they probably carried a little something in their pockets, but that there were KGB dudes, like orchestras, 150 people, so maybe like five to seven KGB guys. I assume though, being part of the Moscow Philharmonic meant that he was provided some creature conference that normal citizens were not. I mean, I doubt he was having to stand in the bread line because that was, that was kind of a pride of, of the Soviet yeah. union, wasn't it? So they were probably taken care of pretty good. Well, uh, I think the, the main difference was that they were able to travel uh, and, and see the world. They also were able to bring things like, you know, we, I was telling the story to my friends. They can't believe it here. And if you see the line, you go to the end of the line. And when you get closer, you find out what is it they're selling. And then whatever it is they're selling, and no matter what size it is, you just buy it. If you used to. Uh. So, you know, he was traveling, he was bringing clothes and, you, you know, little souvenirs. And I tried Coca-Cola for the first time when I was like 13. There was no Coca-Cola in Russia, can you imagine? <laughs> so, yeah, there was, um, there was some privileges in that. And also it was a wonderful life. He loved his work. He loved music. He loved orchestra. So I think he was a happy man. He just passed, passed away two years ago. So. Huh. I mean, the stories he has, I'm sure, were just incredible. Yeah. So you, so you came over, how old were you when you came to the States? Well, <laughs> I was 29. Okay, so you came over on an exchange program? Yes, my ex-husband, uh, Valerie Grachowski, is a very accomplished pianist, and uh, he played both jazz and classics, and so um, we were invited, he was actually invited, I came as a, like, you know, um, my son and I came as a second suitcase with him, pretty much. <laughs> he was invited through IREX, which is International Exchange Organization, um, in 89. We were the first ones, probably after the Cold War, whatever, which came uh, in, the, in the arts and culture area as an exchange people. And so we came to Bloomington Normal, Illinois, in uni- to university there. So where he was uh, teaching and and playing and we really at the time I came I knew two words in English like so I, I totally couldn't understand what's happening in general yeah. for a very long time <laughs> yes I remember first time we went to Walmart and I thought I'm going to fit I'm going to have a fit because <laughs> Walmart was absolutely amazing level of luxury <laughs> 
I mean, I have a friend from who who lives in Manhattan, and the first time he walked into a Walmart with me, he was awestruck. And that's and he's in the United States. I mean, it's <laughs> it's, its own animal. Walmart is. Um, so you came over, and then how did y'all end up? By way of what did did you end up in San Antonio? Well, we were applying for jobs. You know, I came with the notion that I'm not going back to Russia. You know, so I've decided because probably because my father was traveling and I've heard the stories and I definitely idealized the West. Now yeah. I know that for sure. <laughs> so, and I knew that, yeah, no, I'm not coming back. I'll find a way to, to stay. And so um, I started you know, accompanying there and kind of got a couple of students while he was working. And then when when um, when this exchange was over, um, we needed to decide. So he said he's going back to Russia because he's not going to do any kind of secondary jobs or anything. He was a, you know, big star. And I just said that I'm willing to wash dishes or do whatever it takes, but I want to stay here. Is that right? Yes. Wow. <laughs> and so... Um, I, I made some good friends in Illinois uh, while we were there, and they taught me like how people find jobs in this country. I didn't yeah. know how, so they said you have to look in certain publications, and if there's openings, you have to apply. And I didn't have enough English to do that, so you know I always was good at making friends, and people always helped me <laughs> in my life. Uh, and uh, so they helped me. You know, we applied. I applied for. 25 different positions for my ex-husband and uh, the San Antonio UTSA responded that they would like to invite him for interview and I remember I'm calling him to Russia I said Valerie you invited for interview he said what is interview what do I need to do <laughs> and so that that's how we ended up in San Antonio so he was given this position after he interviewed and performed here and in 91 we moved to San Antonio because of that so he went back did you stay in Illinois when he went back to Russia yeah. And you helped him find this job in San Antonio. He came down. And what yeah, did, I did you do? It, yeah. I did it more for me than for him. Is yeah. <laughs> what did you do in San Antonio when you first moved here? Well, uh, I, I started, you know, I'm a pianist. So I started accompanying and performing. And then I played in Most Happy Fellow in Josephine Theater with Mark Richter. I don't know if you remember Mark Richter. I did not. Uh, anyway, and then UTSA opened the a company's position for me. So I, I worked at UTSA for three, four years after that as well. And what does that mean, an accompanist position? What do you do? It means uh, you play piano uh, for singers, for choirs, for musicals, for guest artists, for like whoever needs a pianist. You've been given a piece of paper and say, go play it. (laughs) So that's what you do. You didn't need to speak good English. (laughs) Yeah, well, by then I already started, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. So how, how long were you doing the company work with, with UTSA? I think I was there for four years. And uh, after that, uh, I really, you know, I like UTSA and it's great people, but it was not a right job for me and no. overall. I'm kind of an entrepreneurial. Uh, I have this entrepreneurial spirit about me. And uh, that job description, really, you have to be more of a follower than, uh, you know, the leader. And so by that time, I built such a huge teaching practice for myself. So I could, I just went and quit. Okay. And, and just taught piano. And just taught piano for a while. And, and then Musical Bridges was born after that as well. So but somewhere that, along the line, though, you got a, uh, a doctorate in musical arts. Where, where does that fit in here? Yes. Uh, in, uh, in which, what year was that? I was 35, I think. I went back to Russia, and, but it's a program where you don't, it's not residence program. I had to fly there to take my tests and exams and take lessons. So it took me three years. 
So I started it when I was 35 and I was done by 38, I guess. But you'd have to go back physically to take any of the tests. Yes. I mean, I'm sure it sounds dumb, but is, is the testing in that world, how much of that testing is actually you at a piano? Well, you play recitals. Okay. You no have pay, to play, no you have to play concert for the, for the faculty and, and for the, I mean, and they're really, you know, you better do well there. <laughs> I assume they were very exacting people at that level. Yes, that that it was pretty nerve wracking. But I mostly did this doctorate because I I kind of I needed for myself for, versus any kind of job opportunity because I wanted to learn more repertoire. I wanted to make sure I'm current and I'm you know professional level. I thought I am, and so that that was like a boot camp pretty much yeah. for three years. Yeah. Do you play other instruments? No, I don't. Oh, I, I okay. sing it sometimes, but. Did your parents play other instruments? No, you know, in this classical music world, you know, you normally spend 10 hours on one instrument. Okay. <laughs> There's really no, no room for, for you know, the well, way people are brought up. Yeah. You meet people who kind of dabble in other things, you know, I mean, I don't know if you play the violin, can you also kind of play the cello? I don't know if strings are that similar or not. I think some people can. Yeah. yeah. Some people, I think you have to have that freedom this talent to be free which i totally don't (laughs) (laughs) so you've traveled around the world playing as well um how many countries have you played in well i can't just tell you right away how many maybe seven okay all right (laughs) and now now europe is eu so it's all like one country (laughs) well not yeah but not britain decided to do their own thing um (laughs) you started i mean you, musical bridges around the world is is your um brain you know it's your it's your thing right well yeah it somehow started uh by chance really if somebody would tell me when i hardly spoke english you know many years ago that this is what is going to become i probably would not start it because uh, i probably on. would think oh there's no way there's no way i can pull it off <laughs> So it's all started, uh, I've decided, uh, you know, when I left UTSA, I was kind of depressed, it was kind of dark time in my life and stuff. And I thought, well, I wanted to invite my teacher um, who I studied with and who I adored and who, you know, made a lot of um, um, influence on my professional life. I thought I'll invite him to San Antonio and show him around and, you know. So uh, at the time he lived in Montenegro out of all places. So we decided he is going to come in the spring and the conversation was in the fall and to help pay, to help pay his airfare, I've contacted uh, Mexican Cultural Institute. So they would put concert for him. He would play a concert. We would collect tickets and it would pay for his airfare. Yeah. And so that was kind of decided. And then he didn't call, it didn't call, and he didn't have any phone number even. And he didn't have, I know, there was different time. Was this when uh, Serbia, Montenegro and all them were kind of in their own Yeah, yeah, because we're talking, we're talking what year? We're talking 98. Yeah, that was a long time ago. I remember seeing Slobodan Milosevic on the news a lot back then, just because the name as a kid stuck in my head. Anyway, so he didn't call, didn't call. And then suddenly he calls me and tells me, Anya, I'm flying next week. And I didn't confirm any concerts, nothing, right? So I'm calling Mexican Cultural Institute and asking people, do you remember we have dates with you in the agreement? They said, no, you didn't confirm. We, we, we gave the date away. 
So, and, you know, we were both musicians. It's not like we had a lot of extra cash, you know, yeah. for teachers. So I was in shock. And so at the time I had a lot of private students. And so some of them were physicians. And so I remember one, this Jen comes to lesson and I'm just telling her, Jen, the, the, the horrible situation had happened. My teacher is coming. We need to pay his airfare. And, you know, I don't, she said, oh, don't you worry. We'll have a house concert for him. So she called a couple of her friends, physicians, and uh, so we had house concert for him. They wrote a letter to their friends like, Anya's teacher is coming. We need help to pay airfare and and whatever. So people were coming to me at the concert was like, you know, was like, uh, how do you call it, little bombs of cash, like, and said, Anya, do do you need more money to pay for your teacher? And this literally how Musical Bridges was born. So he played at the house and then people love it. Say, oh, let's bring another teacher. Let's have another one. So we brought another one. And then the group of women, one turned out to be a lawyer. It's always good to have a lawyer and a team. Oh. So she said, why, why don't we get incorporated? And I didn't know what that meant either. <laughs> so, so that's how we were born. We got incorporated and another was CB. She said, no, we need 501c3. Okay, so she did 501c3 application. And that was 24 years ago. So what part of, you don't have to tell me the people, but what part of town was the first house that had the first concert? It was at the Dominion. Okay. All right. Um, How many people attended? Well, I would say maybe 50. Okay. So a nice, small private concert. Yes. Yeah. We still do those. Now we do them for members. So, yeah. Um, so it sounds like you are going to bring great music to San Antonio and then through your kind of connections, a nonprofit was born. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it started as house concerts. How, how has it sort of grown? I mean, now it's, it's kind of a monster now. I mean, now you've got lots of activities and different events and, but how did it kind of grow to what it is now? Well, after this house concert at some event, we met uh, Father David Garcia from San Fernando Cathedral. And uh, uh, he was, oh, girls, you know, you're musicians. And he said, it was my dream to have concerts at San Fernando Cathedral on Sunday nights because nothing is happening in the city. Why don't we do that? You know, he was really easygoing. And I mean, he still is. We're still communicating. But it was really, uh, it was really his invitation and his encouragement that that took us from like private small residences into community and so we started concerts at San Fernando Cathedral two years after we formed and uh, we started with 12 I remember Mike Greenberg called me when he saw announcement and said Anya what's your budget for 12 concerts and I I told him honestly that I didn't know what budget was So mostly were local musicians, UTSA musicians, and some friends who were passing by, and my family, the whole family. And so we did 12 concerts. We charged $5 at the door at the, the cathedral. And even that would, later on became a problem. And so <laughs> later we decided to go free. But that was the first big series. Then for the school concerts, we started first small concerts at Mexican Cultural Institute, but it has a very small... Um, a very small hole there and we started with classical music uh, for children and uh, uh, in about a year I figured that that's not really working neither the space neither the programming you know the the space was too small to make you know some significant impact and the programming you know the, the to do classical music for children there has to be a lot of prep work for that in order to make a impact you know 
So at the time we moved from classical music into the realm of uh, ethnic music of, of uh, different cultures. And we really feel that we, we, um, we're really addressing a great need of schools. You know, there's a lot of children, especially in the constituency we serve, which is mostly South side. And, uh, you know, they don't travel much. Uh, yeah. And so they don't know much about the world. And uh, the world looks scary on TV. Once you turn the news on, geez, you know, that's very scary world. And so we're bringing uh, this uh, musicians, expats from different countries in costumes and playing funky instruments and talking different words and different languages. And, and that's how Kids to Concerts was born, you know, and we were reaching a lot of a lot of students. I mean, a lot like 150 schools a year or something like that. So that that's was that a, a partnership with SAISD? We would partner with the schools. We, we work right now. We have a staff uh, person who is uh, educational director and he's the one who schedules concerts. But I think mostly we work, we work with the uh, Southwest ISD, with um, um, San Antonio ISD, with, with like pretty much all the, all the um, ISDs, yeah. including Divine. And now we got, I mean, it's 24 years later from the inception of the organization. But now this year we had to go virtual because of the pandemic. And now we, our program is really popular all over Texas. And even we just got inquiries somewhere from Kentucky that they want to look at our curriculum and stuff. Cool. Yeah. So now after that, we added curriculum. So we really grew our main constituency actually children right now. Okay. Because of the pandemic or just that's where y'all have grown to overall? Overall, okay. but because of pandemic, we were able to go outside the city of San Antonio because oh. of pandemic, because we moved, we have all educational materials and the curriculum, everything is available online now, which we can send you a link uh, if you would like to. Yes. And you're going to you're going to share some videos too, that I'm going to put up. How is the, how are the acoustics in uh, San Fernando? Well, it has its uh, uh, challenges. Uh, but overall, it is uh, such a special place to perform. You know, yeah, it's beautiful. But I remember I was at a wedding and it was just really hard to hear anything in there. <laughs> yes. Well, we're trying to program uh, acoustic mu- music there. If you're not amplifying anything, it sounds good because musical instruments sound good. But the challenge is when you're starting amplifying things that that, uh, that creates a mess because they have their own system built in. And uh, if you're doing something else, it's just uh, terrible. So and it was built so long ago that wasn't probably much of a concern when they built it. Yeah, yeah. Um, l- let's kind of walk through some of the events. Y'all. D- is the musical evening evenings at San Fernando going to come back or is it back yet? Uh, so far, we're doing it virtually. This season, we have one concert left and it's going to be virtual. Uh, but yes, we're planning very lavish uh, season next year. Uh, we hope to be back at the cathedral. We hope people will come back and we probably will provide masks at the, at the door just in case if somebody feels uncomfortable. Yeah. But yeah, we're planning five concerts next year and we're signing contracts right now. And I'm very excited. We just visited cathedral a couple of, day ago, a couple of days ago. It almost brought tear to my eye because we missed the cathedral yeah. so much. <laughs> and those are all free now, right? Yes, all the programming we do for the public is free. Okay. Um, what is the San Fernando's evenings, does that music have some sort of com? I mean, is it all classical or is it a mix of whatever musicians you can get it's, to come? It's a mix, yeah. All our programming, I mean, the way we do programming, it's all reflection of our mission, uh, which is, uh, I can tell you the mission, <laughs> which is to transform lives through multicultural performing in the visual, visual arts programming 
by shattering stereotypes inspire um inspire let me see what is it we inspire <laughs> togetherness <laughs> and, and, and provide and provide hope for those with less least access we have very long and complicated <laughs> <laughs> anyway but uh when we plan the season, we want to make sure we'll bring representatives from different cultures because yeah. that, is, that is like a core of our mission. And we present it for free. It's free and open to the public. We want to make sure everybody can attend if they want to. But all events aren't free, are they? Or are all? All, I mean, all oh. public events. You know, we do have fundraiser, of course, and okay. we have a membership series, uh, which are, you know, you have to be a member to attend, but uh, public uh, so public, uh, among all the public things we do is a uh, Russell Hill Rogers Musical Evening at San Fernando Cathedral, International Music Festival, Gurvitz International Piano Competition, which takes place once every four years, Golden Age program for seniors, and two educational programs for children. One is Kids to Concert, another musical Sprout. Yeah, so Rudy, Rudy provided me some of this. The Kids to Concerts, community engagement program that introduces children uh, K to 12 in title one schools annually, uh, to different cultures, music and dance, uh, which you're right. You know, there's so many areas in town that even outside of the pandemic don't get exposure kids that don't get exposure to different musics and different cultures. So that's, that's fantastic. And musical sprouts, uh, original education program, measuring the impacts of STEM plus arts. He called it steam curriculum. So basically the, the science, technology, education, music, programming being introduced um, to children's in the school setting. And I didn't know about this, but y'all have something called golden age. Um, talk about that. Well, we, uh, you know, some seniors have hard time getting somewhere from the senior homes or, in, and so we take programs to them. So uh, in a given year, we do about 35 performances in different senior centers and communities. And, and they really, it's one of the special programs we do. Yeah. You know, those are mostly classical because that population really responds well to classical music. And um, we hope to be back this year. I mean, everything is in the lockdown. So, How many, how many performances are y'all responsible for a year with all of the different programs y'all do, do you think? About over, over 100. And how many of those musicians are going to be local musicians? Uh, local, uh, not that many Most okay. of our musicians are abroad. Sometimes we do collaborations. We invite uh, a couple of musicians from the symphony and add some people from out of town, or we quite often we invite local jazz musicians, uh, and, um, mix them with, with some people from out of town, but because of our, because of the nature of our mission, you know, if we're doing multicultural performances from all over the world, they sort of call for, you know, expats. Yeah. So my introduction to musical bridges outside of Rudy was the international music festival. And it was kind of a, it was a, I mean, this says multi-week. I couldn't remember how long it went on, but it was just a series of very accomplished musicians at that time. Most of them were taking part at the Tobin, if I recall. Um, but I know they were kind of also throughout the city, different locations. Uh, is that kind of the capstone or the big, you know, the big event y'all put on every year? Yes, International Music Festival takes place once a year, uh, only on the years when we do Gurvitz International Piano Competition. It's kind of replaces the festival. Okay. So once every four years. But the festival, you know, the first festival we had, we had 
uh, Israeli-Palestinian piano duo. We had very controversy groupings of musicians because we even thought we will call festival music uh, without borders. But then it turned out that somebody else has this um, name, and we were almost That's when your lawyer friend comes that. in handy. Yeah, yeah. We Don't want to get sued. Yeah, we didn't. So we had to drop that. But that was pretty much the idea, yes, for festival to show cultures which normally don't communicate well, especially on the TV news, which we're getting. But in the real life, when you put real human faces on the people, they do just fine, you know, in, yeah. the, in the creative setting. Yes. I mean, it, it, and it probably doesn't get talked about enough, but we have used sports and arts as a means to diplomacy kind of forever in the United States. I mean, even ping pong diplomacy. I mean, that was opening up China through ping pong, but music is always, and arts have been one of those things we've always kind of exchanged with countries, even we don't get along with. So, I mean, it's great that y'all are kind of uh, accentuating that in this international music festival this past year, or was it the, it was 2018 when y'all had the last Gerwitz. Is that right? We had no Gerwitz was in 2020. We were so lucky. We had it right before the pandemic hit. All right. I remember it because wasn't David Robinson somehow involved? Yes, he was. Uh, yes, he was chairman of the of the committee of the. Yeah. OK, talk talk to us about that, because that was a very unique event y'all were putting on. And and I looked up some of the musicians. I mean, talk about who y'all were able to bring in. And, and it was a competition, right? Right. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a separate story. Um, San Antonio had international piano competition. It's an organization which existed for 32 years. And about five years ago, they called me and took me to lunch and, and, uh, and asked me if, we, if musical bridges would consider to absorb them because, you know, they were all volunteer organization. They were getting, you know, up in, in, in years and, it, and it's hard to run. And they came to me because I'm a pianist. And so they, they trusted that I won't let it die because I see value in the piano competition. Yeah. <laughs> and so our board of directors talked to their board of directors for some time. And, and then we, we took it on, which was a huge, huge undertaking. And so the first competition we produced was in 2020. We renamed it after Eugene Gervitz, uh, who was um, uh, acting president and a supporter of the international piano competition for like over 20 years. And, wow. you know, doing that kind of myself for most of the best years of my life, <laughs> I kind of feel it's good to put, it's good to be recognized. And so we wanted the competition yeah. carry her name. And, uh, um, we kind of jumped like, you know, like in, in the winter, you jump in the cold water with this. We kind of jumped and hoped for the best ah. <laughs> and it turned out fabulous. So we had uh, 76 applicants from uh, from 21 country applying to participate and preliminary judges, uh, which are consisted out of local professors of Texas universities, selected uh, 12 finalists who had to fly to San Antonio to compete live. Huh. And so we had judges, very reputable panel of judges, which was headed by Sebastian Van Lessing, who was our director of San Antonio Symphony. And uh, so we had first round um, in Trinity University, and then we had second round at Trinity, third round we had at Empire Theater, and the finale was San Antonio Symphony at the Tobin Center for the Performing Arts. So and, how did it work tournament-wise? Did the first round did all 12 play and then six moved on? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. Right. Yeah. And so the first one, they had to, they could play whatever they want to play, free program for an hour each. 
And uh, second round, uh, we we actually decided, you know, because our mission really drives all our programming of musical bridges, you know, we had tried to figure out how can we marry purely classical competition with our mission, which is, you know, not not really classical. We, yeah. you know, we 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 don't associate ourselves with any one direction in music, and it's, and so we came up with this, uh, I think, brilliant idea <laughs> that for the second round. We wanted to, all the participants to play a Latin piece as a necessary part of the repertoire to celebrate San Antonio makeup. And third round was absolutely unique because we commissioned piece um, to UTSA composer Ethan Wickman, which would be written for piano into world music instruments. And those world music instruments were musicians from Silk Road Ensemble from New York, which is Yo-Yo Ma's Silk Road Ensemble, which is a very famous group. And that piece was written in such a way that it's allowed pianists as well as other musicians to improvise, which is a big no-no in the kind of classical music of this day, unfortunately, because, you know. And so uh, we had the piano players to create their own cadences, sort of. So they had to play a little part of that piece, which they composed or they were improvising on a spot. And that uh, was really, really unique, which really sets our competition apart from all other international competitions in the world. Did they and get all the music beforehand to prepare? Yes, they have to. It's it's pretty pretty complicated stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had a finale with San Antonio Symphony, and so we had gold medalist who uh, is Chinese, silver is Korean, who lives in Paris. And the bronze is Italian. Huh. <laughs> so that was that was our three winners. What were the prizes? Uh, gold, 25, silver, 15, and bronze, 10. $1,000. Yeah. Huh. And they, they were all, uh, all uh, sponsored by different individuals. And yeah, we, we really, I mean, it's amazing how great of a response we, we've got in San Antonio for this event. Yeah, a lot of people helped to underwrite different things because there were a lot of things to underwrite, including... You know, most of these participants, they're in the age of students, uh, and so they're not really wealthy to travel the world. Yeah. And so we paid their airfare from whenever they were coming from to San Antonio and back, and they were staying here with people, with families. And um, and then, you know, we even the ones who didn't make it to next round, we paid a little um, stipend to them. And so, so we wanted to be kind, you know, to musicians. Yeah. So you said there were 70 applicants and then y'all whittled it down to 12. Did 70 submit videos or something of them playing? Yes. They said everybody submitted an an hour long video performance. And that was evaluated. Thank goodness. Not by me. (laughs) Evaluated by independent panel of uh, professionals. I mean, just the endurance of playing the piano for an hour straight. I mean, that's its own hurdle. I know that it's just, it's such a difficult, profession actually you know yeah so you i'm sure you learned a lot of lessons in the first one that y'all put on yes we so now we started working on the next one which is in 2024 (laughs) and uh, we hope to make it like everything in america big and better (laughs) is the goal still to have 12 the next time around yeah, we were thinking we're not going to change what worked. And I think that the, so the, this worked, the whole structure worked. We, we want to add things which we think we were missing. Like we want to add very big community outreach and educational program associated with the competition. So we're thinking to dedicate like whole year to talk about piano and the art of piano and the history in the countries with the yeah. schools and, 
and put together a group of local piano player children to play for you know schools and so we want to connect this world of piano with like general constituency so people feel it's like you know piano is some not a big deal so while the musicians were here did they also do any kind of side performances or anything like that Yes, uh, judges, for example, judges did master classes. They did master classes at UTSA and, and um, San Antonio Art Center and Trinity University. As far as participants, that is tricky uh, situation. You know, they, they're coming like to Olympic Games, you know, they, ah, yeah. and, and so they're practicing when they have to play. They practice for hours and hours. And when they didn't make it to next round, then they feel depressed. So you don't put them much to work. All right. <laughs> But but next time we might we might uh, figure out how to deal with that as well. We might put them to work while they still here. Is the winner part of a symphony? I mean, is it, that's obviously her job is is playing the piano if she's that good to win the competition. But is she a symphony member somewhere? Uh, the pianist. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, the the pianist are going to perform. The the gold medalist will be performing with San Antonio Symphony. That was in our agreement with San Antonio Symphony uh, for the symphony season, and um, we we talked to many other local organizations um, that uh, agreed to invite our winners within period of four years to perform in San Antonio and maybe throughout the taxes. So great. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many people work for uh, Musical Bridges? How many employees do you all have? We have uh, seven full time. Wow. That's, a, you know, you've got your hands full now. <laughs> yes, yes. As far as programming and events, I mean, is there, you know, you've got a lot. Obviously, you've got a lot on your plate, but are there any additional ones that y'all have been angling for or you think will be on the horizon? Well, um, uh, we do have once a year a fundraiser, which called Dees on Keys, where we have uh, local medical professionals uh, performing different musical instruments. And we normally have it in September. So we just had a brainstorming session on how to make this one extra special because we're in year of pandemic. And so I don't know if it's politically correct for me to reveal the title, but we kind of thought about calling it Resuscitate. Oh, (laughs) that's fine. I don't know. We have to run it by a couple of people, see if they like it. But it, it's very special event. We're going to have it virtual too in September, just, you know, to make sure. But in October, we're opening, we're planning to open season live at the cathedral. How many doctors will perform in y'all's fundraiser? Normally it's about between 15 and uh, between 12 and 15 oh, people playing okay. different instruments. And yeah. it's not only doctors. It's not only doctors. There are some other professionals and, uh, who don't do this for a living. So the, the idea is like if you play piano, but you don't make money doing piano lessons or playing, then you qualify. And if you play piano well. And so we have all kinds of, we have singers and, and Broadway and jazz and salsa and Indian dance. And I've heard there's a Chinese orchestra of physicians in San Antonio. I'm going to go and find them. <laughs> so- all right. So y'all, and y'all bring in all types of musicians. What's the most unique sort of instrumentalist or musician y'all have brought in? Well, it's hard for me to tell, but I can just give you a few. A couple of years ago, we brought African musician from New York and he played instrument called Kora. So it's like, it's like, looks like a barrel and has strings on on front and it's like big, sort of like a cello. So I've never seen one before. Actually, I've learned a lot through this year of, of meeting all these musicians. Uh, another one, we just in the process of producing the um, uh, Japanese segment for the schools. 
and uh, the instrument, the, the, the lady plays there called Koto. It's an um, interesting instrument. It's um, she has shamisen and koto. I just learned by watching video yesterday. Okay. <laughs> shamisen is a, it's like a little banjo, but it's square and it has three strings. I've seen those. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, and koto is a, a long instrument with the strings like going all the way around, and they push them and then pluck them at the same time, and huh. it produces a very interesting sound. Of course, Russians, we do often Russian program is balalaika. You know, there's a, like a square instrument with the three strings on it. So the world has a lot of very interesting instruments. <laughs> Indian, Indians have sitar and, you know, and um, uh, what is it, tablas. Have y'all had a sitar player? We did. Yes, you did. We, what do we you did. think would be the hardest instrument to learn? Piano. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a harpist once and I thought, where do they even start learning how to play a harp? Yeah, they're probably hard too. But piano, you know why it's hard? Because any instrument which is capable to play more than one melodic line, piano can play like a symphony. It can have absolutely, you know, no, I'm taking it back. The most difficult instrument to learn to play is to conduct symphony orchestra. Okay. All right. Because How often do you perform still? Not too often now. Maybe, you know, four or five times. A year? As yes. part of some of the programming? Or just on uh, your own things? Um, no, programming maybe once every three, four years. You know, okay. I, don't, I don't think, you know, now I have to compete with all these fabulous musicians I'm bringing to San Antonio. It's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. No, I have, I have my piano duo with a friend of mine. We'll play piano together and, and uh, we'll play, uh, before pandemic, we were meeting once a week and performing in different places. Now during pandemic, I haven't seen her for a year. So uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully we'll revive that. Well, so, you know, we're getting about an hour and I try to keep business an hour. Um, this season, I'm trying to figure out who are some of the people you think would be good people to come on the show and talk about San Antonio, the San Antonio music scene, kind of how we're progressing. Um, you know, Aaron Prado. I do not. He's a jazz musician and he is uh, teaching in North Vista College. Okay. right now. He's a good dude. Then there's uh, uh, Ethan Wickman, who is a professor at, he's a composer, a professor at, at, at UTSA, and he okay. also plays oud, which is a weird instrument. <laughs> you know, it's, he would be a nice guy to come and talk about music in San Antonio. Symphony, you need to promote the symphony. Yeah, they've been having a tough time based on what I've seen in the paper uh, over the last few years. Yeah, but I mean, symphony, we need symphony in this city. I know? agree with you. Yes, and especially, you know, you, you're addressing the right demographic for this supporting symphony. Yeah. yeah. Maybe like invite musician, not administrator, but invite like. Yeah, no, I'd love to. I, I'm going to ask you this. So, uh, all, you know, it sounds like even the international musicians y'all bring on are kind of classically trained. Have y'all ever had any kind of backwoods American, you know, banjo spoons? the thing they do in their mouth, any of those kind of musicians in? Well, the thing in the mouth we can't do, you know, we work with schools. You can't imagine what kind of restrictions we have. Okay, all right. Like, uh, but yeah, we, we, we're bringing all kinds of musicians. It, like an old American jug band <laughs> where they've got like the washboard. 
Well, you know what? Actually, funny you mentioned it. We're, we're uh, talking to a music group, which uh, I've, I've seen at the conference in New York and Chamber Music Conference. Uh, they play sort of that kind of music with the accordionist leading the group, and uh, and so we we're negotiating to bring them to San Fernando next season. Great. So we're doing all kinds of stuff. You need to come and check us out. I've come to some. I'll, I'll come back. I, it's just you know, there's so many good things in the city now that weren't here when I first moved here. So it's juggling all of those. Well, we are the best. I, bl- I believe you. <laughs> hey, that, here's the last thing I want to ask you. What is the difference between a violin and a fiddle? It's the way you play it. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's not tuned differently or anything. Well, I mean, tune. You can tune violin any way you, you know. You know, Indians play violin too. Indian violin, which is like tuned the way that sounds like a meowing cat. You know, I don't want to offend anybody, but you know, <laughs> so it, it's uh, that. That's the only difference. The instrument itself is the same. So, when is the next event y'all have that will be public? Well, we're going to virtually. We're going to have international music festival, which we're converting into a summit. There are going to be different panels of different musicians and talking and dispersed with performances. It's going to be middle um, of April, I believe, April 18th, if I remember correctly. And uh, then we have uh, this season. The end of the season program will be middle of May. Great. And this will be concluding this. And, you know, we have a website, Musical Bridges. I was just fixing to ask you, what is it? What is the website? It's musicalbridges.org. And you can find all kinds of information in there, including curriculums and interviews and videos. We have a YouTube channel, which is a Musical Bridges uh, Around the World YouTube channel, which is, you know, has a lot of shows as well. Lately, this season, we've been producing movies all over the world. <laughs> so. And y'all have a membership too, right? We do have membership, yes, uh, and it, it's all the information is on our website. We have, we still have house concerts for uh, for Music Aviva members, where the same musicians were performing at San Fernando on Sunday, on Saturday perform for a small group of people with a fully catered, you know, uh, evening where you can hang out with a uh, you know like-minded people and have huh. fun. Yes, and on Friday we have Impresario Club membership, which takes place in Roosevelt Library with gourmet sit down catered dinner with a, a sommelier and all that and it's for impresario members so we 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 serve to everybody and in a general public get stuff for free you know i should maybe have the guy from the roosevelt on that's a that's its own strange thing in san antonio that so few people know about that's a great building yeah it is leland stone yeah that's right yeah yeah uh well anya thank you so much for doing this i mean you're funny and and charming and what you're doing for the city is fantastic um I will, I will rejoin as a member. I, I kept meaning to do that and I just have not done that, but thank you so much for your time. I'm going to grab some videos. You uh, email them to me. We'll put them up on our social media and this will probably be up in a few days, but thank you so much. And I can't wait to come see you in person once this uh, craziness is over. Sounds good. Thank you very much. For you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Alamo hour. You are all what make this city so great. We hope you join us next week. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash alamohour or our website, alamohour.com. Until next time, viva San Antonio.